Hello and welcome back. It's Benjamin Rose and myself, Gedali Gutenberg, with Mishpachaz Homefront, a bi weekly wide angle view of Israel's biggest conflict and a generation. Benjamin, hello to you. Hello, Gedalia. Let's begin straight away with a headline which has come out from Bibi getting up and saying, We will complete the task in Gaza with or without the world. And that is significant because with or without the world, the world that they're talking about is the world of the White House, behind which much of the Western world falls in lockstep more often than not. And this is a first sign of pressure emerging and Israel airing that divergence between Bibi and the White House. Because until now, traditionally, whatever has been the disagreements and the helping disagreements over strategy, over tactics, over the, the aims of the war, occasionally these things have leaked out, but ultimately it's been kept under wraps. And this is significant because this is Bibi acknowledging to the home front, the wide Israeli public, not this podcast, that things may not be moving in the right direction. And so, you know, I, mean, I, I want to get your take on that, but I just want to point out there's a, a dynamic over here, the dynamic that's shaping up this stage of the conflict, which is Israel has never really moved long-term without the U.S. support. And I'm talking about uh, for decades now. We need their weaponry. We also need them uh, to keep the international uh, community off our backs and to keep those parts of the international community that are malleable, to keep them on side indeed. So that's on the one hand. But we might be forced to take a step into the unknown for the simple reason that this is the first time when I think the Israeli public can really see what is actually happening and will be able to measure for itself. There'll be no pulling the wool over their eyes with the Israeli public on this and saying, well, we've defeated them, kind of like an end of the Second Lebanon War scenario. Because here, the front line is down the road. We all have independent ways to evaluate when or whether Hamas is defeated. Those independent ways are very simple. Are they firing rockets at us? Are they taking selfies in, in another part of Gaza, triumphantly showing that they are still master of the place once the IDF is withdrawn? And that the very visibility of this conflict means that for the first time, Bibi may be trapped between a rock and a hard place between the administration on the one hand saying cease and the Israeli public on the other hand saying you can't because simply there's no going back, you've not finished the job. That's why I think it's a dynamic to shape this conflict going forward. Gedalia, if Israel is going to have the support of any nation in the world, obviously it's best to have the support of the United States. They are the world's major superpower. And for the most part, they've always been on Israel's side. Of course, they don't want Israel to win too big. They don't want the Arabs to lose too big. That's something that uh, I pointed out in the article I wrote a couple of weeks ago. Uh, that's the Henry Kissinger philosophy that uh, when you have a, a big victor and you have a big loser, then there's no reason to negotiate. Kissinger always tries to maneuver things so that uh, neither side emerged a real winner so that they would have uh, a reason to negotiate afterwards. So that's always been the U.S. philosophy, and that's always been the extent of U.S. support uh, to Israel. Let them win, but not too big. So now we're in a situation where, and to me, this is the key. The big argument between Netanyahu and Biden right now is the day after. I don't think it's really about how they're fighting the war, even though Biden does talk about that. And I'll talk about that in a minute. But the big issue is the day after. Who's going to rule Gaza? Uh, is there going to be a peace process? Is there going to be some move toward a two-state solution? And this is the time that Israel has to lay down the law. And that's what Netanyahu is doing. He has to say that, no, there's not going to be a two-state solution. This never worked, it never will work, and we're not going back to it. And this is Israel's golden opportunity, not to stand up to the U.S., but to stand up for itself. And that's what's causing the friction. I mean, isn't there a danger that if you pick a fight in the middle of a battle, 
remember that at this stage, we're so far from defeating Hamas is, is palpable. You need every consignment of tank ammunition, every shipment of missiles and of guided bomb kits that they can get. And to start picking a fight this early, in learning we says Hilchas Mashiach, these are halachas that apply in Mashiach's time. And the last thing we need is the Biden administration saying, uh, this is because of debates about the post-war nature of what's going to happen in Gaza, to shut off the flow of arms. I don't know if that's a realistic scenario, but I think the question is, is this a case of Hilchas Mashiach, something that's happening so far in the future that's just irrelevant at the moment? That is the question. And I think one of the many fundamental questions Bibi is going to have to be thinking about now. The question always is, will the U.S. act or would the U.S. actually cut off the arms supply to Israel? I have my doubts that they would, even if there are political disputes, because they want Israel to defeat Hamas and to pull the plug in the middle of a campaign because of a disagreement over who's going to rule Gaza six months from now or a year from now. I don't think serves the U.S. interests either. But again, we have political considerations as well on both sides. Obviously, uh, there's a lot of dissension inside the Likud, and Kanyo needs to uh, shore up his right wing, so he's got to talk tough. And on the other hand, President Biden is entering a re-election campaign, and he needs progressive support and uh, money from the progressives in order to get his campaign on track. Uh, we know his approval ratings are very low. We know he's trailing Donald Trump in uh, the polls in most of the key states, including many that he won in order to win the election in 2020. So that's why uh, Biden's got to talk uh, the way he talks too. When he made his comment the other day in a closed forum about Israel's indiscriminate bombing, and then he spoke about Itamar Ben-Gavir and how he's making things tough on Bibi and Netanyahu might have to change his coalition, I think that was very inappropriate once again on the president's part. He, he has to stop interfering in Israeli internal political affairs. And if he wants to understand Ben Gavir and Bitsala Smotrich, maybe he ought to meet with them, or if not he himself, maybe when Jake Sullivan comes today, finally they ought to stop the boycott of the Israeli right wing and sit down and speak to these men and find out face to face where they're coming from. If they can sit down with the Mahmoud Abbas and if they can talk with the Qataris, uh, then they need to talk with the Israeli right also. If they're going to uh, never have a dialogue and just try to uh, delegitimize uh, people who uh, were elected and who got quite a few hundred thousand votes in the last election, they're, they're headed in the wrong direction. And, and, and that's not the way to embrace Israel. It's not the way to get Israel to make the changes they want by coming out and attacking us. To me, the problem starts as ever inside our ranks, because you must remember that this boycott actually came from the Jewish left. It wasn't that long ago that the Jewish community organizations, notably in Britain, in France, I think in America as well, they refused to meet with Vatsal Smotrich and he visited and they put out a statement that we're not going to receive them, they're racist, and they're whatever it is. It is again, another sign and a piece of evidence. The world left will follow what the Jewish left does and where the Jewish left, wherever it is, takes a particular tack it will eventually find itself expressed and uh, outside. So I cannot see the Biden administration softening on that. But let me make one more point, Benjamin, about the Biden administration is thinking. You mentioned it, political context. But I think there's actually another context which, they act, which we tend to forget, which is playing and, and worrying, worrying the Biden administration and has therefore bearing on what's going on in Gaza, which is Ukraine. The effort in Ukraine has basically become clear that the Ukraine has maxed out its ability, its offensive capacity. They are now trembling under the prospect of a massive Russian assault and talking of defeat. 
And for the first time in a year or two, that is being talked of as a distinct possibility. When you're the Biden administration, you're not just thinking about Gaza. You're thinking, can, can we put a lid on Gaza? Can we therefore stop the Israeli offensive, deal with that, put it back in a box? Because ultimately, it's not about a state falling, whereas there's civilizational threat coming out from Ukraine, a potential fall. They're talking about NATO's Suez moment. That is playing on the mind of the Biden administration. It's not something that Israel can do anything about. But again, it's very practical, Benjamin, because the shipments of shells that were meant to go to Ukraine have now been held up and gone to Israel instead. And Israel will most be prioritized over Ukraine simply because of the nature of the alliance between the two. And if I'm Jake Sullivan or I'm Biden, I'm going to be thinking, maybe I can just force an early stop on Israel so that we can get back to dealing with the real issue, which is Ukraine. That's how I may be thinking about it. The more the U.S. shows uh, timidity on any front, the more they're going to end up losing and being taken advantage of. The fact that uh, they're vacillating on Ukraine, the fact that the backing for Israel seems to be uh, one day yes, one day no, good guy, bad guy. You have President Biden saying what he said, and then the next day you have a spokesman, John Kirby, saying that it's amazing what Israel's doing to protect the civilian population in Gaza. I'll mention one other point, the fact that the U.S. is not retaliating against attacks on their positions in Iraq. That's another way that America is showing that it's timid. Don't forget the Houthis in the Red Sea. Exactly. That was the next point I was going to bring up, that there are two major shipping lanes, at least as far as Israel is concerned, through the Red Sea and around Cape Horn. So uh, with 50% of the shipping lane cut off, and when they can't sail through the Red Sea, which it's dangerous right now for any ship headed toward Israel because of the Houthis, then all of the goods that Israel gets from the Far East, from China, from Japan, from Korea, gets cut off, or it has to go all the way around Cape Horn and takes much longer and becomes much more expensive. So Israel's told the U.S. that if you're not going to do something about this, we can and we might. And they just might have to do that. And again, America is the superpower in the world. All you have to do is one day fly a few planes over the Houthis' main port in uh, Yemen and take it out. And then I wouldn't say they're finished, but they're close to finished because that's their big base. And you take that out and they don't have uh, a base to attack anyone else from. So what are they waiting for? I just have visions over here. We're talking about the Red Sea being closed and Israel not being able to receive shipments from the east. I mean, anyone who's lived in Israel, visited Israel, knows that there's an Israeli institution called the Shekel Shop, the Shekel Store, all the junk in the Shekel Store. And basically, Israelis live off these things in one way or another. Especially if you have kids. Correct, correct. The visions, therefore, of what a maritime embargo and siege in Israel might mean and the inability to procure toys that break within 10 seconds are truly frightening. In all seriousness, he reminds this was the threat to the sea lanes coming up with the triggers for Israel's early wars against when Nasser closed the Straits of Tehran, etc. The ultimate lever Israel retains against the US is that Israel can act to start a war, may not be able to finish the war, but therefore that threatens to engulf the US and US interests. And that, Binyamin, I think, we haven't mentioned on this podcast for a while the strange silence of the Iranians. Notice how quiet these people have been. In other words, their proxies are busy proxying, but they themselves are sitting pretty in Tehran, denying responsibility, firing off speech here and there. And one wonders what is happening with their nuclear weapons program, which has been a major concern of Phoebe's for throughout its career. 
And ultimately, the reason I mention it is because there's the same lever. The lever that has always been able to force the Americans to actually take the problem seriously is that Israel is strong enough to start a war, not strong enough to finish it. And that dynamic plays into everything the U.S. thinks about. We want to do anything to avert a strike that will start a conflict, but potentially and will be left to finish it off. And I think if there's anything that can uh, provide a shot in the arm for hesitant and vacillating U.S. leadership, it is the thought that if they don't take care of problems that they're meant to take care of as a world power, then others are going to take care of it in a half-hearted way that, that will eventually suck them in. So that is, I think, a principle that, underlies a lot of what's going on and one in which is uh, in the back of the minds of both Israeli and American leadership. You know, and any last thoughts for Hanukkah related, anything Hanukkah related to share with us in the audience? I wanted to mention an interview I saw on Channel 11 a couple of days ago. I wouldn't say that this is the type of good news story that we try to conclude with, but it's something that I really want our listeners to know. They interviewed a gentleman from Sderot who opened up a large grocery store there about eight months ago. He's brand new in business. And because uh, Sidero has been evacuated and nobody's there, so his store is closed. He still has to pay his employees. He has to pay for all the merchandise that he bought, all of the food, uh, most of which has spoiled and gone rotten and he's had to throw out. This man has lost millions of shekels in a short period of time after opening a business. And he's been applying through uh, all of the uh, government agencies to get the, the aid package that he's supposed to be entitled to. And nothing's come through yet. Everything is going so slow. And uh, it sounds like uh, things are disorganized in the uh, different uh, government ministries. Uh, they're not taking care of uh, the people like they should. And uh, this is just one example. But again, everyone talks about uh, the humanitarian issues in Gaza. But I want to focus on our own humanitarian issues. and. My heart went out to this man. It's an entrepreneur. He starts a business and he's out millions of shekels. And who's going to come to his aid? So we need to keep this in mind. There are certain things a government can do. Of course, there are certain things that charities and private NGOs can do to help people like this. But this is just one of literally thousands of stories in Israel. And we need to be talking about it. We need to be hearing more about it. And when people come to Israel and say, ah, humanitarian uh, issues in Gaza, you've got to take care of the people again. How about us? Agreed. Binyamin, can I just conclude also with something? It happened to me last night, I was in the Kaisal for the first time in a while, and Menachemarev, et cetera, and the like, menorah and lots of uh, soldiers milling around as well. And there was a, a group who stood out and they stood out mostly with the, some of the height of these 12 to 15 individuals was because they were crowned with the American cowboy hats. What we saw, there was video going around a couple of months ago, the arrival of the cowboys from Montana. These are not Jewish, these are Christians who've, who've come to help out the Jewish state in its time of need. And they're based around Hebron, different places, Shiloh, to help the harvest there whilst the farmers are off fighting the war. And they had a, a nice conversation with a few of them. And naturally, there were pictures of them dancing with some wrestlers. It was great. It was a visual feast. But one of them said to me, he said, listen, there should be far more of us over here. And we're just here to express our solidarity, et cetera. And yes, I agree. It would be a wonderful thing if thousands had turned up to help in the same way as with reference to the Ukraine story that they flooded into Ukraine to help Ukraine back a couple of years ago. But I think it's a nice opportunity to say, and I love their accents, by the way, this is Montana, Arkansas. These people were not faking it. They were the real thing. And I think it's an opportunity to note that, yes, there's not many friends out there, not as many as we'd like, but those who do come are much appreciated. 
to, to they show their support, whether it's you're an arc, you know, a Montana cowboy or you are a defender of Israel and British or American television, that your efforts are appreciated. So we're going to use this platform to say thank you. Wish you, Benjamin, and listeners everywhere a very lovely